Well, hello again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. What a glorious, glorious day this is as we've assembled around the region uh, to celebrate and to revel and glory in the defining moment of our faith, the, the historic, uh, just the paradox of our, of our dead yet alive king is for, is for us the, the centerpiece of our relationship with God. And even in our isolation, the quarantine cannot hinder the praise of God on this truly historic Easter Sunday. This morning, we're going to be highlighting a very familiar story from the Bible. And as I've often said, the challenge for the preacher on Easter Sunday is not finding something to say, but whittling it down. Because if left to my own devices, I'd be here all day. The truth be told, we could spend a lifetime trying to mine out all of the truth and wisdom, the grace of the resurrection, and still not get beyond the surface. But I'll do my best this morning. But, but fair warning, brevity and restraint in preaching haven't always been close friends of mine. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 1, and we'll read to verse 12. Here's what, here's what the gospel of Luke tells us in 24, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Just a quick word of prayer. God, we need you today to speak your truth and your wisdom to us through the pages of the scriptures. Open our eyes and our ears that we might be attentive listeners and seers today. God, stir faith in our hearts and bring the truth of the word to bear on us. In Jesus' name, amen couple things we're going to point out this morning and then we'll hopefully find some application. The first thing we see is this early Sunday morning encounter from these women. The, the Bible says that they arrived early on the first day. Who, who are they? They are the women from Luke 23, 56. These are women who have begun to prepare the body of Jesus for burial, but they had to stop because of the Sabbath day. And now they're hastily making their way back to the tomb early in the morning preparing themselves for what will be a very hard day for them. As in their heartache and in their grief, they're going to be working to give Jesus the burial that was fitting for such a righteous and a good man. But in verse 2, as they approach the tomb, they see a significant problem. Something just isn't right here. You see, the stone that had covered the tomb had been rolled away. And for those of you who maybe um, haven't heard some of these details before, Jesus wasn't buried in the type of grave that we've become accustomed to here in America. His body was placed in what was essentially a cave, the tomb that had been hewn out of the rock, and a large stone was rolled over the entrance of the tomb to seal it. 
So we can imagine their surprise as they arrive and they notice that the stone that sealed the grave is now missing. And now it gets really confusing for them in verse 3. They look inside the tomb and they realize that the tomb is empty. The body of Jesus that they had expected to see in there all of a sudden wasn't there. Where did the body go? Or, or as the other gospel writers tell us, one solution that they had uh, considered was who took it? Who stole the body of the Lord Jesus from the grave? It was a startling discovery In verse 4 through 7, we see that that continues. That startling discovery continues. Verse 4 tells us that they were perplexed. They were baffled. The The whole situation was confusing to them. As they tried to figure out what exactly just happened and what are they supposed to do now? Have you ever been there? You ever been perplexed? Ever been in a situation where you're not sure what just happened and you're not sure what you're supposed to do now? I know I have. A couple months ago, I was in the middle of a snow and ice storm, and I was enjoying a nice day off. And as, as I get older, one of the things that I really look forward to on my days off is my nap. And so I, I scheduled a nap, and I was laying down on the couch, and I had my noise-canceling headphones on, and Chris Stapleton was singing me to sleep. And I, I feel a sense of judgment, so don't judge me on that. I just needed somebody to sing me to sleep. And all of a sudden... I felt the house shake. My, my headphones did a good job. I didn't hear anything, but the house was shaking. And my son Drew came running into the room where I was laying, and his eyes were wide open. And I said, did something happen? He goes, I'm not sure what it was. So I walked out the front door. And as I opened the door, I could smell the arresting presence of pine. And, and like it, it smelled like a million crushed up pine needles, right? As I stepped outside the house onto my porch, I I was stepped into a bed of pine needles and broken branches. A tree had hit the house and was laying now across my driveway uh, next to my house, branches and needles everywhere, and I'm in the middle of an ice storm. And I imagine if my neighbors would to tell you what I looked like in that moment, they would say that I was perplexed. I stood there without shoes on, scratching my head, staring at this tree, wondering what am I even supposed to do now? How in the world do I even take the next step? What is the next step? And it took me a little bit to get my bearings. I'm sure it was a sight to see me stumbling around and mumbling over debris about this nasty storm, muttering to myself under my breath questions about who do I call and what am I supposed to do. I was a little bit more than just overwhelmed by the situation. I imagine these women feel the same way. Perplexed, baffled, and confused. What just happened and what am I supposed to do now? You see, their grief and their sadness, the the heartache is compounded now because now they can't even honor their Lord the way that they had hoped to by preparing his badly bruised and broken body for burial. And then, to make matters worse and weirder, two angels appear. And Luke, Luke here first calls them men, but later in verse 23 he refers to them as angels. And, and the gospel writers Matthew and Mark both call them angels here too. And maybe you remember from our Advent studies, or maybe this is brand new, but in the Bible, angels are messengers. Like diplomats and ambassadors, they carry a communication from God to the players on the world stage. And fear overtakes these women, which is what would happen to us. And they fall down to the ground, 
which is what you do when you suddenly see people hanging out where the dead body of Jesus is supposed to be. And the angels speak to them. And they say to these women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Their message to the women is that, ladies, you are in the wrong place. You're in a graveyard digging around in a tomb. Now, if Jesus were actually dead, you'd be fine. You see, this is a graveyard. It is the resting place of dead people. But Jesus isn't here. You guys are way off target. He's not here because he's not dead. He's alive again. He's risen from the grave. See, ladies, death and the grave couldn't hold him. He's, he is not ruled. He's not overtaken. He's not mastered by the finality of death. Instead, he and he alone was able to wrestle and tangle with death and overcome it. The angel said he's not here because he isn't dead. He's alive and risen again, just like he told you. Do you remember, he says, do you remember the words he spoke to you? The messengers remind these women that Jesus had actually predicted this, although at the time, nobody was really paying attention. He told his disciples that he would be delivered over to sinful men. He told them that he'd be crucified. He told them that the third day he would rise again. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15 that that is the essential message of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus had predicted it. But nobody was really listening. Or if they were listening, they didn't quite understand it all because it was still confusing to them. Just like we learned last week, the disciples who saw him feed the 5,000 and then saw him still the waters were still unsure and they, were, uh, they didn't quite understand about the loaves and the fishes. They still don't quite understand about what Jesus had said. But the ladies run back and give a report in verses 8 through 10. They remember his words and, and thankfully now they can see, yes, this is exactly what Jesus said. They might not still grasp all that it means for them, but they can at least recall that he had warned them. So they return from the tomb and they find the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and they tell them the whole story. Look, we went early, we took the spices, we wanted to finish the body's preparation for burial, and the stone was gone, the body wasn't there, and these two angels were there, and they said what happened was Jesus isn't there because he's alive. And the, the disciples, it says, considered it an idle tale. They didn't believe him. Their conclusion after hearing, they're all still struggling to make sense of what's going on. They thought the women were just telling them a story. They had just seen their teacher taken into custody, unjustly tried, tortured, and killed. The idea that the tomb seems, is empty seems so far out of the realm of possibility, the only conclusion they can come to is that this is a made-up story. But the Bible tells us in verse 12 of Luke 24 that Peter ran back to investigate. And I made a note as I was studying this week that the work of God invites investigation. The work of God invites investigation. Some of the other gospel writers would say it this way, come and see the place where, he, where they had laid him. Come and see for yourself that the tomb is empty. And maybe today you need to hear that. Maybe you've heard this story a million times. I mean, everybody knows that Easter is the day that Christians celebrate the empty tomb. But have you ever considered it yourself and what it means to you? 
Have you ever investigated these claims? Have you ever read and pondered and searched out the scriptures to see what they say about Jesus? Maybe today is the day that you begin your investigation. You're invited by the writers of the Bible to come and see, just for yourself, just like Peter did. And when Peter gets to the tomb, guess what he finds? He finds that it's just as they said. The stone was rolled away. The tomb is empty. Jesus' body is not there. And he returns home, Luke tells us, marveling at what had happened. Perplexed. Overwhelmed. Wondering what had just happened and what it all means for him. All right, so as we bring it into conclusion, our favorite question to ask after reading a passage and talking about it is, so what? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you today? Sometimes we feel like it's a challenge to read the words of the Bible and find ways to apply them to see how they're relevant to our lives today. Hopefully today in in this passage, you can see the easy connections. Here's what we learn from this passage and what we can and remember and what we can apply today. The first is this. The tomb of Jesus is indeed empty today. Many of you have been there, physically been there. You've traveled to Israel and seen it. The empty tomb itself is actually one of the most historically verifiable realities in all of the world. What it means for us is open for speculation. But the fact that it was indeed empty that first Sunday morning is just that. It is, it is a historical fact. And we are joining millions and millions today, billions even, celebrating the glorious reality that when the women made their way to the tomb that first Easter Sunday morning at dawn, the empty grave awaited them. The tomb is indeed empty. The second thing I want to point out this morning is that invitation. Come and see for yourself. The work of God invites investigation. Have you considered these historic Christian truths? Have you ever considered that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, sinless in his life, crucified for our sins, buried and risen again? Have you ever looked into those matters for yourself? Come and see. The Bible says, may God help you in your search for truth, but don't dismiss it all this morning on someone else's opinion. Search it out for yourself. The truth of God is strong enough to handle all of your scrutiny, all of your questions, all of your doubts. The work of God invites investigation and it is strong enough to handle all of your criticism. But what you can't do is take somebody else's word for it. Come and see for yourself. The tomb is empty. What you make of what that means for you, that's up to you. But don't take someone else's word for it. Investigate it for yourself. Come and see what God has done. And the third thing that stood out as I was studying this week is I I really was struck by that phrase at the end about Peter, that he went away marveling at what had happened, trying to make sense of it all, trying to figure out what just went down and what it means for him. And what happened was that Jesus rose from the dead. Although Peter may not have understood that right in the moment, Jesus would soon appear to him and his disciples, and they would be able to see him face to face, alive and well. But what does it mean? That's what happened. What happened was he rose from the dead. 
But what does that mean? That is the question of the day, isn't it? What meaning is bound up in the emptiness of the garden tomb? Well, there's a couple things I think we can point out. The first is that Jesus is definitely not like any other person. He is not just a moral teacher. He's not just a sacred philosopher. He's not just a political revolutionary. You see, what distinguishes him from Aristotle and Socrates, what distinguishes him from political figures like the Caesars or Alexander the Great, from moral teachers like the Buddha or the Dalai Lama, what distinguishes Jesus from all of them is this, the empty tomb. There is something infinitely superior about Jesus. He is raised up above all others. In fact, the Bible tells us that God has exalted him highly through his resurrection, so high that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Jesus' victory over death, this empty tomb, is our hope for new life too. Because Jesus rose from the dead, all who are united to him through faith have the confidence that they too will rise from the dead. That the end of this life is not the end for us who are united to him in faith. Thankfully, gloriously, the grave has lost its power and death has lost its sting, not because we're so special or so moral or perfectly righteous or strong, but because Jesus defeated death for us. Jesus' victory, the empty tomb, is our experience of new life in Christ. You see, if we have been united with him through faith, all things, we are told, become new. And the newness of our lives isn't the product of our decision to turn over a new leaf and white-knuckle our way through some changes. No, the newness of our life is the product and the fruit of the new life of Jesus working in us and working out of us. Jesus' victory, the empty tomb, is our hope. We look to the empty grave and we are reminded that victory and freedom and hope are present in the darkest of our nights. Because in the darkest moment of history, the light of the hope of Christ shone the brightest. So Christian, faithful believer in Jesus this morning, I want you to rejoice. Rejoice that in Christ you have been made new. Rejoice that your sins are forgiven. Your debt has been paid in full. The empty tomb for you is the receipt. It is the visible record that the transaction is complete and the bill has been sufficiently paid. Because if Jesus was still in the tomb, that would be a statement to us that the power of sin was stronger than the Savior. Rejoice, Christian, that our hope is secure, that one day this earthly life will give way to a glorious eternal life solely by the mercy and grace of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you're here with us this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, the empty tomb is a billboard to you. It is a, it's like one of those skywriters announcing to you that all that I just said is indeed true. You have a Savior. There is hope. Forgiveness is available to you. New life can be found, and death does not have to be your final resting place. Friend, if that's you this morning, turn to Jesus. Turn away from your previous way of life. Turn away from trying on your own to fix the situation. Turn away from sin and darkness and turn into the light of Christ and express faith in Him. Ask Him to save you. Come to Him like a child coming to their father with trust and confidence. 
Receive today forgiveness and mercy and hope and new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. The empty tomb is your hope today as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of the resurrection. We thank you for the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what it is and for what it means that all may come, that all have an opportunity to experience new life, forgiveness of sin, adoption into the family of God, and eternal life in heaven. I pray that those who are listening this morning would have their hearts awakened and their minds opened and their eyes and ears unstopped that they might be able to see and understand the truth of the resurrection. And I pray that they would find hope in you. Lord, I pray for those who are watching who are uh, followers of Jesus. I pray that this, this Easter Sunday morning would overwhelm us with glorious hope, that we would be overjoyed that by your mercy we have experienced new life. And I pray that you would mobilize us to be uh, messengers and ambassadors of that new life. Lord Jesus, we honor you and we rejoice in your goodness. We glory in your grace and we exalt your name because of your resurrection from the dead. And it's in your glorious name that we pray this morning. Amen.